0: There's something about really being present, and I guess it goes back to knowing and finding yourself, because I find in life, a lot of times, it's about remembering what we already know but forgot.
1: Welcome to Therapist Expanded where we start a mental health revolution by living our dreams fully and freely beyond industry conditioning and taking every client with us because we'll only take them as far as we've gone so join me your host Aaron Gibb and my trailblazing guests and be revolutionary by expanding your mind and your life to your freest and fullest potential Hello revolutionaries! Today I am sharing my interview with the amazing Natalie McRory. In this interview, I am just filled with love and gratitude for Natalie's courage, vulnerability, humility, and her wisdom. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I enjoy sharing it with you. So without further ado... Here's my interview with Natalie McRory. Okay, so Natalie, thank you so much for joining me. And we're just going to start with tell myself and the listeners about yourself, your journey, your work, and your passions in the field.
0: Thanks, Erin. I am so grateful to be here. This is so exciting for me and The first thing I would say is that I didn't prepare for today. I'm often a person who will plan and prepare for things. And I intentionally didn't because I really wanted to show up as my authentic self and to let forward what's meant to flow into this conversation for people to hear. And that's often probably one of the biggest lessons I've learned on this journey is to trust the flow of where I need to go with things and I find the more I can do that in spaces in my personal life and in particular in my work life, in counseling sessions, when I can go into a place of trusting that I do have some wisdom and knowledge and that I can hold a space where that will come forth for the other person, there's just this magic that happens. So that's what I've left the space open for today and just this kind of inner knowing that it'll just flow and unfold the way that it's supposed to today. And that's part of who I am, part of what I've learned over time, and part of what I hope to bring forward through in this conversation. So I say that with gratitude for being here with you, Erin.
1: Amazing. Thank you, Natalie.
0: So I guess I could start with saying, um, in terms of my work, I've kind of circled back to Bruce County area in Kincardin. I grew up in Kincardin and left home pretty early. I was 17. So what I find is that when I think back to my growing up years here, it was very rural, very small town and made it the best it could be. But I was really ready when I got to high school to move forward. And so I fast tracked through high school, finished a year early And headed to Montreal, so I went from small town to big city to Montreal, and not even knowing what I wanted to study. I had applied to a bunch of different schools, a bunch of different programs, and got into McGill University in Montreal into an arts program, did the first year, and still didn't really know what I wanted to do, um, but just again kind of felt like if I just go, that felt like the right thing to do, something will come forward. And as I was walking across campus, I bumped into one of my classmates from one of my larger classes from I think it was from a sociology class. And she said, hey, Natalie, did you know that there's a social work program here and the deadlines next week? And that was it for me. I just knew in that moment that, oh, wow, that's like a practical program program. I think that's awesome if I could get in. It's something that would probably land me a job after. So I rushed around, applied, and got in. And that was the journey of my social work, becoming a social worker. And I think looking back, it was probably the best choice for me because it just has opened up this whole world of meeting such incredible people, so many people along the way. So I've really done... In my work, I've really done everything from, like, the grassroots community organizational work, pilot projects, um, working with um, adults with disabilities, with intellectual challenges, physical disabilities, and I've worked with adults with severe and persistent mental health problems. And then from some of these work experiences in Montreal, I ended up working up north in northern Canada. In uh, Nunavik, so I was placed in an Inuit community, which ended up being so the Inuit community I originally went to is called Puvionnuituk, Quebec, where there's the only hospital center for seven communities along the Hudson Bay. So that's where I thought I was placed to work, and ended up being moved to a community south of there called Inukjuak. So Inukjuak is a wonderful community, and it's also has a, a rich history of culture and a very devastating history of colonization. And so if anyone has ever seen the film Nanook of the North, which I would recommend seeing, that was filmed in Inukjuak, And so Inukjuak, um was the place where where my work brought me to open a mental health resource for the 14 communities in Northern Quebec, Nunavik. So, Nunavik is composed of seven communities on the uh, Hudson Bay side. It's like a triangle at the top of Quebec. So, if you visualize a triangle, the one side of the triangle is the Hudson Bay. So, there's seven Inuit communities along that side, and the other side of the triangle at the top of Quebec is along the Ungava Bay, and there's seven Inuit communities along the Ungava Bay. So, I was placed in a community about halfway up this triangle shape part of the top of Quebec, Nunavik in Inukjuak along the Hudson Bay. So this is also an area where if you've ever heard of or if people have ever heard of the high Arctic exiles, this is where Inuit Mm -hmm. were displaced from their community into the high Arctic. Um, So these were also families, some families from Inukjuak. There was also the residential schools so and the dog slaughter. So there was a lot of history in that particular community of a lot of very devastating colonial events. And so opening a mental health resource was evident that Enoch Dwek was a good place to start from there because that's where we could bring in some of the clients from that community to start. But it opened up to clients from all over Nunavik so that too um, i ended up doing clinical social work there i was asked to replace the social worker in the community and in quebec they have the clsc which is similar to the family health team that we have here in ontario it's very similar in the setup of there's doctors nurses but other services as well including a social worker in that community there was also the what's youth protection which is called here children's aid and uh community workers who are local workers, so I did that for a number of years, which involved a lot of crises work, a lot of um on call work outside of work hours and I found that the majority of the work in clinical was less about having structured appointments set up and more about people walking in as needed, which were oftentimes moments where people really needed to open up and heal in that moment or resolve a crisis or would feel suicidal or have very big issues happening, a sudden death or so grief, a lot of grief work. And from there, another pilot project opened up for families. So this was a project to support parents and families. And I believe part of this came from the United Nations call to recognize the over- abundant number of Indigenous youth in in foster care and um, the lack of resources to resolve traumas that led to that. And so a resource like this was pretty special, I thought, as a model to be run by local local, um, community workers and social service workers in the community, as well as Collaborating with elders, so we would have elders in to teach people how to sew traditional clothing or bring in men and women who could prepare foods and prepare some traditional foods and as well as store-bought foods. Um, for parents to learn skills to raise their children in healthy families to hope that less and less children would be removed from from families and from community. And so it was really to support and educate and bring in elders and bring in parents who had that wisdom and knowledge and share it in very practical ways, both through words and stories, but also very practical ways with cooking, sewing, actual child care, parent-child activities together to create that healthy attachment, things like that. And from there, I ended up moving back to Kincardine. Um, it, it was just timing-wise, my my father fell ill at the time, and they were aging, and my children were becoming of school age, and my mom had a contact with a psychologist in Kincardine who was retiring and was looking for someone to replace his private practice, and she reached out to me, and a friend of hers reached out to me asking, and I had never thought about private practice And I had actually never thought about specifically moving back to Kincardine. I had always kind of thought in my mind if I move back south, it may be, say, Montreal or Ottawa because there are more. And my children are Inuit from their father's side. There are more local, like, Inuit organizations. And it would be more of a bridge between where I am in Kincardine and the north because the flights, there's only flights to Inukjuak and they go out of Montreal. So in my mind, I always thought if I spend any more time in South or ever move back to South, it would probably be Montreal or potentially Ottawa. That also um, would fit some of the skill sets I had and also be an opportunity to stay connected in the Inuit communities in those city centers. But as life brought it and as life unfolded, I ended up to circle back to Kincardine. And so that's where that's where I ended back and... Um, in part because like a large part too because of my parents aging and I was I am the only daughter my brothers have moved away and the idea of my children attending the school system here so when I met with the psychologist who was retiring we met for about 20 minutes to half an hour and then he handed me the key to his office and said I'll send you my first client and that was it So I started into the venture part of my journey of opening a private practice, which was 12 years ago now. So altogether, I've been doing social work for about 27 years and 12 of those in private practice. So, yeah. Yeah, so it, it really has been a journey of learning and growing. When I look back to... The pieces of work I did around the grassroot in the community, I'm so grateful for those experiences. I'm so grateful for the humbleness I learned in the work that I did where it was things like putting on a pair of gloves and going in and helping someone in extreme poverty unplug their sink so that dishes could be made as cockroaches are scattering everywhere and the person's mm. so depressed they can't get up off their couch. And just trying to be in these spaces of offering a moment of connection and support and all sorts of various experiences that just brought me to this place of deep humility and deep connection with other human beings in different situations to counseling and that crisis counseling that I did and recognizing as I've done all of those pieces of work that all of those together have contributed to who I am today and who I want to be today. And the part of those, the part that I've always loved the most is the connection, like that deeper connection. And I find for myself, I can achieve that most deeply and most authentically one-on-one with people. And that's not to say that can't happen in groups, because there's been plenty of groups or settings where there's been multiple people that we can connect in a very beautiful, profound, authentic way. I find in terms of my work, I can go to that place of a deep level, as I was saying at the beginning, kind of of that flow of sitting in a place where... I can recognize and hold in a place of humbleness some of the knowledge and wisdom I've learned along the way and may hold already innately in me as well as to hold that space for somebody else to see that and feel that within themselves or to know that and vice versa. That kind of deeper Mm -hmm. level connection happens to me in counseling and in particular one-on-one counseling. And it happened the instant I tried it in a practicum in a social work course in my first year of university that we had to do with a two-way mirror. We had to go in a room and do a mock interview session. And for whatever reason, it felt so natural and so um, in flow for me. And I remember that the professor came up to me after and she said to me, Natalie, you are going to be a great counselor one day. Those words always stood out for me because I remember kind of looking up. She was quite a lot taller than me, and I remember kind of looking up to her. That or I felt like she was very important or tall. It just feels like that moment of like a child kind of looking up and thinking like, what? Like, what did I even do? Like, I I couldn't even figure out in my mind like what I did that she would see through that two, two way mirror to come up to me and say that to me. But I remembered her saying that. And I guess somewhere inside of me that stayed inside of me because I can't say, um, from a place of humility, I'm a great counselor, but I can say from a place of humility that it's very comfortable and very natural. And that's where if we talk about flow state, that's where I can find my flow state in life most easily, is in these one on one counseling sessions. So I've really enjoyed the private practice aspect.
1: And I can hear that in your surprise at what she said, because you were being, not doing, right? In the way I mean that, is you weren't thinking about all the things you were doing, you just showed up in your presence and your connection, and your being. But that is what's so beautiful. And I think that's, I imagine that's what she was saying because that isn't easy. And as someone who trains students um, pretty frequently now, dropping into doing is usually what people do when they're trying this out at the beginning when they're nervous and they've just been taught a whole bunch of stuff. So for you to show up in this presence and I can feel it now with you. You're just you're being you. I appreciate it.
0: There's thank you. There's something about really being present and I, I guess it goes back to knowing and finding yourself because I find in life a lot of times it's about remembering what we already know but forgot. And I think when it comes to counseling, yes, there's for sure like techniques and skills and strategies I've learned a lot along the way that can be helpful, but it's where I find the most profound shifts happen or the most profound healing happens is in those moments where people remember what they forgot. And it's not usually something I taught them or teach them or offer them aside from the space that they remember what they already knew about themselves. And Mm -hmm. I find when people find this, there's joy. And when people find this, there's peace. And when people find this, there's something to hold on to inside of themselves that can help them through whatever they're going through so whether that's a spiritual thing or just um a life being thing it's something that i've noted along the way and see it regularly and often happen in sessions over time when when the two of us like me me and the person who's coming in for support are in that space together it's a really wonderful thing
1: mm-hmm.
0: So I guess kind of um, what ties it all in for me with who I am personally in my personal life and professional life, and I've been saying this word I noticed repeatedly, is humility. And I see that as very different than humiliation. I'm not talking about humiliation. I've experienced humiliation, absolutely, over time through being abused and other situations as many people have. I'm talking about humility in terms of being humble. And I find this humility and humbleness is what leads me through life. And when it doesn't lead me, life will remind me of it. <laughs> so life will remind me to be humble when I forget. And this ties in for me to so many things, back to you know, issues around Indigenous because as a mother of Indigenous children and having lived in an Indigenous community and keeping connected, it's really, really deep in my heart and being to support Indigenous people. And it's really from a place of humbleness. And as a non-Indigenous person, I remember to stay humble in it because I remember always and keep note of the wrongdoings and always looking at then what can I do like who can I be and what can I do to step forth to walk with Indigenous people and support and honor and respect so that's a very very deep part of who I am on a daily basis. It's something I think about often and reflect on often and always looking within me and around me on ways to do that, to support. And so I've brought that into my work. I do support some Indigenous people through my work. It's also in my personal life with my children and their family members and always trying to make those connections in local community or workshops or trainings or supporting Indigenous businesses and in whatever ways that I can. And I know it's an unlearning and learning, as they say, it's unlearning different ways that I was brought up um, in colonization and learning new ways to be. And what I've learned from Indigenous people and the experiences that I've had I could honestly say in many ways that I mean this both symbolically and literally that times when I've been lost, I have found my way through indigenous people. When I've been physically lost on the tundra, I had that experience of being physically lost and not knowing which way to turn, because to me, the landscape all looked the same. It did. And I couldn't, I couldn't bring my bearing to know north, south, east, and west, and it was this profoundly humbling experience of, wow, the the people I'm with here know the land so innately and so like intricately that rocks and mountains and landmarks and where where we are north, south, east, west by the stars by the where the sun is, by the earth, by the by the body of water nearby, and I didn't have that, or I couldn't reach that in that moment. I felt so lost and couldn't find north, south, east, west. I couldn't see through the fog. I couldn't identify which rock or which way to go, and and so finding my way and reaching back through landmarks or finding my way back to the tents. um, I just had this deeper, even deeper level of respect for the Inuit, for who they are and what they do. that's, That's why I want to share that as an example of like finding my way. It's finding my way to this deep respect and deep honor that I hold. So So many examples I could give around that, but I would just share that one that comes up for me. Um, So I guess I'll just pause there, Erin, because I know I've been talking a lot and just wanted to just kind of check in with you.
1: I'm very honored with everything you're saying. I've got goosebumps multiple times and can feel the power of your words and having my own experience of living in the northwest territories um what kept coming to my mind was the concept of beginner's mind and coming in with an empty cup right i tried that and um that helped me as well was to set my conditioning aside as much as possible unlearning and then learning i can Absolutely resonate with that. Um, I could hear you talk forever about what you're talking about. There's such a beauty and passion um, and respect and humility in your words, so I'm so grateful Thanks, Natalie and I'm oh, you're welcome. I wonder if I might ask you now, given everything you said, um the first question that I ask all guests, which is. What does mental health revolution mean to you?
0: That's a great question. I I see such a change even in... If I think about even in my private practice and I think about the number of clients. So I'm thinking back to clients who initially, when they would reach out to call, would often say things like, I don't want to have to call I don't want to have to come in for counseling. Um, very, very um, concerned about like confidentiality, or if people would see them coming in, like which door they could come in. If people would see them going in or going out, often people might make remarks of like, "I'm really glad you're in a hearing clinic." Have your office in a hearing clinic that way people don't really know I'm coming in for counseling. To now where people will reach out and say, I've told all my friends and all my co-workers about you. <laughs> it's such a shift. And I yes. feel like this is part of the mental health revolution is that people are less and less inclined to feel shy or shame around reaching out for help and more actually feel good about it and really kind of want to shout it out to the world to say, this is good. This has been good for me. You should try it too. Like, here you go. Here's some names. Go ask your doctor. So that encouragement from people to spread the word around that it's okay, that it's okay. And I find just even in the 12 years in private practice, people are much more open to say when they reach out whatever it is that they're dealing with like i'm anxious or i'm this like i'm depressed i'm anxious or i have trauma i need some support are you available or can you recommend someone so i find there's a real openness around both seeking for support and seeking specific support and to me that that speaks volumes it speaks that people are having the courage to reach out and feeling good about it and feeling okay about it And they're also thinking about, would you be a best fit? Here are my issues. Are you like, do you specialize in this? Or do you know someone that does? So people are being very, like I find more and more intentional around, here's what's going on. Can you help me? Or can you recommend someone who can? So I find that to me is revolutionary as well. It really is. And even for myself, like, When I think back to the beginning of my private practice, I was, especially in a rural area, I think there's a uniqueness in doing counseling in a rural area because I was very open to help whether children or couples or families or individuals in a whole range of different issues and over time have really realized that I can help most in areas that I have experience or have more training in. And so I currently work more specifically with adults. So I think both ways that, you know, for myself as, as a clinician, I can also be very much more intentional about who I feel would have that flow of support with to offer the best service possible so that I'm consistently both meeting with people and consistently referring to people who I know are available and might be in alignment with, you know, that they may have choices of this person or this person has availabilities and has experience in this area. So that kind of branches into this um, flow of mental health revolution for me. And to add on the piece around that, and I know we've We've talked about this before. One of the things I'm very passionate about too is connecting counselors in private practice and therapists in private practice with each other. And so that we have a network now, as you know, because we're both part of what is a peer support started as about four or five people, has grown into, I think there's about thirty. Thirty of us, um, Clinicians in private Mm -hmm. practice from Owen Sound to Hanover to Godridge, Clinton, so it's and Kincardine, Port Algon, so it's branched and it's branched and it's grown. So that's how I see mental health revolution is stepping into support, stepping into community, and making those connections that can help move forward so that we don't stay stuck in being alone. We don't stay isolated in whatever it is that we're going through, whether we're a client or a therapist, that the mental health revolution is really about that we are all connected and we can support each other and we can all be part of this community that connects together and brings us forward to, yeah, better mental health and a better health.
1: Amazing. Yes, uh, I can completely understand what you're saying, and I could resonate with the destigmatization of mental health and the empowerment of both the clients and the therapists. I actually had a family member recently tell me they're on the, in the online dating scene, and basically now, for their age group, it's not a "if someone's in therapy. It's a (laughs) how often do you go to therapy is what they're asking each other in online dating. And if someone says I don't go to therapy, it's like a swipe away from them situation. And I was fascinated by that. She said, yeah, like the expectation now is people are in therapy and they're bettering themselves. And I was like, that is quite a shift. That is a revolution. Absolutely. That it's become the norm that people are growing and empowering themselves.
0: I I agree. And I think even as, you know, I remember someone saying to me once, you're so lucky to be a counselor because you must have this perfect life.
1: Uh And Uh I
0: just said to them, you know, we're human beings and actually a lot of us go into counseling because we've had traumas to overcome or we've had very difficult life experiences and can connect on that deeper level with people to heal. So social workers, um, psychologists, psychotherapists, all sorts of counselors, nobody has a perfect life. Nobody has a perfect life. And I find more and more in my practice as well. I'm very transparent about it that I like to walk my talk. I've been in counseling of various kinds. Um, I've tried EMDR therapy because I am an EMDR therapist. I've done consistently life coaching, counseling, um, healing my traumas, working on all sorts of issues within myself because I want to be fully present for the people I support and for my family. I want to be present for my family. I want to be present for my community. And when I have unresolved wounds and unresolved issues, I'm not going to have the perspective fully that I can or be in a place emotionally that I can be if I'm not doing my own work, which a part of that work for me is doing my own therapy, doing my own counseling. And I find more and more, even in my practice, a decent amount of people I support are other therapists, other EMDR therapists, other therapists, because I think a lot of us are recognizing that It's so important in doing this piece of work. It is part of the revolution. It is part of that positive ripple effect that if we are to fully help people, we need to work on ourselves. Just like how I was saying with my deep passion to honor and respect Indigenous people, I need to heal my wounds as part of that. I need to do my work. Part of my doing my work is learning about the history, learning about the beauty of the culture and the strength and wisdom of the culture, but it's also doing my work is healing myself. It's healing my traumas. It's healing my wounds. It's working on myself always so that I have an open heart and an open perspective too. I always love to, you know, I've learned this through both the smudging prayer. I I also learned this when I was, brought up as a Christian that idea of having the eyes to see that I want my eyes to be open to see what I need to see and I want my ears to hear what they need to hear and my mouth to speak what it needs to speak and also to be quiet when it needs to be quiet and listen and my heart to be pure and to get to these I need to heal my traumas and I need to heal my wounds because those cloud those, I find. They cloud all of those when I'm in a place of pain or a place of hurt or unresolved things in my life. And so I've learned the more I can work on those and heal those, the more I can start to see what I need to see. It's not always easy. It's not always easy to have full awareness or to hear things that can be truths and hard to hear or be able to speak what needs to be spoken or be quiet when we need to be quiet, it's not always easy, but we need mm-hmm. to. We need to step into that truth. We need to see and hear and speak truth. We need to, if we really, really want to continue a real mental health revolution.
1: I could not agree more. And- I'm going to combine the last two questions, because what you just said there about how it's not easy to speak and live our truth, but how it's necessary for a revolution. Um, The last two questions are two sides of a coin. So when have you held yourself back from fully speaking a truth, living a dream, living a desire? And when have you taken a risk and done that, spoken your truth, living your, living your truth, spoken a dream or a desire? I held
0: myself back in a place of denial when I was in an abusive relationship because I wanted to make it work, because I wanted my children to grow up with their father because I wanted to stay connected to a community that would hold space for them in this place of love and connection to that part of their culture. And when I came to the truth of what it was, when I was able to finally step back and look at the ways that I was being hurt, were also hurting the relationship. Being in a place of denial is also harmful. It's a, I think it's a temporary coping mechanism to help not feel overwhelmed, but living in a place of denial for too long also becomes harmful because then I'm not living in truth. I'll speak from a place of I. So when I was able to step into my truth that this is an abusive relationship, that it's not healthy for me and therefore not healthy for my children, and had to take that step to leave... This is the flip of the coin where I stepped into courage and I stepped into truth. And I stepped into alignment to what is in part for me being my best self in this world. I couldn't be my best self when I was living in denial and when I was living in an abusive relationship. I couldn't, no matter how hard I tried, I could not be my best self because I was being harmed and therefore harming myself and in turn that will harm my children and when I realized that I never want to bring harm to my children or any human being. I have to just pause because I have some emotion coming up but when I when I stepped into the truth of that then I could powerfully step into taking those courageous steps of starting over again and I started really from ground zero like No money, no furniture, just a bit of clothes in my suitcase when I moved back with my children. So it was stepping back into this newness of starting over. And that brought forth this whole new path to where I am today. So that really is the flip of the coin for me where I'm living today and the life I'm living
1: today. Absolutely. For me, that's the mission here is to look at when we step into what it is that's from the deepest place in us. That is when we start to live a life that you're describing. So I am so grateful, Natalie, for your honesty, your humility, your openness to share, and all the meaning you've really added to this conversation. I'm very grateful, and I'm wondering if there's anything you'd like to say as parting words for the audience
0: i would just say what i've learned probably more recently as these like it's a journey of learning these life lessons and i would say first of all i want to reassure that my children are doing wonderful and they stay very connected to their community they're there right now with their father in the community and They're doing really, really well. I I wanted to say that first. Um, They're living between the two worlds and the best of both worlds, I think. I wanted to say that first. And I think the other part I wanted to say was thank you to you for creating this space and to each and every person listening to this. Because it really feels right to share these things in a hope that it has a positive ripple effect And that others will be able to do that as well because every person is important and every person's voice is important and every person's journey is important. So I'm grateful to have some space and time today to share that with the hopes that that will just ripple forward on and on and on for people listening and for future generations. That's always my hope.
1: Thank you thanks for listening to Therapist Expanded. Please subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast to help more of our colleagues join the revolution.